Praise the name of the Lord. If you would open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to begin in verse 17. Hebrews 11 and verse 17. When you got it, say so. And then I just want you to hold your place there, and I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to go back and forth. We're only going to read Hebrews 11 now, but I want you to hold your place in Genesis because we're going to be there in much of our sermon today. When you got that, say so. So. All right, now turn back to Hebrews 11. We'll read verse 17 to verse 19, and it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Lord, thank you for your word that is truth. Thank you for your word that illuminates us, that sets us free, that guides us. Lord, we thank you this morning because we know that you are here in this place and we know that you want to speak to our hearts. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. Let us be responsive. Let us be sensitive. Let us be submitted and obedient to your voice, Lord God. Let us not just hear what you are saying, but let us do Let us apply the truths that we learned today and that we thank you for the grace that we receive from you, Lord God, to live out your word. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so today, for those of you that are with us in our Bible reading challenge, we are in the, the book of Numbers, chapter 31 through 33. And today is day 50. And so uh, haven't, I haven't gotten all the videos out there. I've been a little bit behind on getting videos out. But nonetheless, we're still reading the scriptures together. So I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Um, stay in there. I was really encouraged by our, our class on Wednesday night and learning of people that don't even go to our church that are looking out for the videos and, you know, are being encouraged, being challenged in their faith. And so tell your friends about that and, you know, that way they can hear. So do that. If you don't have an outline, just raise your hand really quickly. The ushers will get you those outlines um, if anyone needs one. And as always, I want to remind you and encourage you to be sure that you are utilizing those outlines, not just for our time together. You can obviously follow along in the sermon with me. Um, You can follow along in the beginning. You can follow along with the main points that are in there. But my big thing is not just that you follow along here, not just that you answer the questions that are there, but that you consider who it is that you are helping grow in their faith. As I I continue to reiterate, and and the leadership right now, we're going through a book called Building a Discipling Culture. And the one thing that we want to make sure that we are doing here in this church is that we don't just talk about discipleship, but we want to be about discipleship. And discipleship is not a a part of Christianity. I would say that it is Christianity because Jesus didn't come just to make people say a prayer. Amen. 
He didn't just come just to get people to come to a building and sing songs. He didn't just come in order to make people feel good about themselves. He didn't just come to give people security about heaven, but he came to do what? He came to give his life for who? For us, so that way we could do what? So that way we could spread this message of the gospel, and again, not just tell people about Jesus, but help people grow in their relationship with God. And so that's what we want to be doing as far as being those who are making disciples. And so I encourage you, if you are not helping someone grow in their faith, that you would really begin to ask God, who can you help? Who can you come beside? And who can you help to come to know Jesus in a better way? And you can utilize the outlines that we're talking about. And so in your outline there, the first paragraph here, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. I've said that before. And I, and I think the next series that I'm preaching, I'm not, I'm not, I know the next series I'm preaching is in the book of James, but I think that may be the subtext for that whole series. But what I want you to understand today is that when we're looking at the life of Abraham, this is a, is a man who this is the second time that he's mentioned in this hall of faith. And there's a reason for that, and it's because his faith is tested. And, and so we need to realize this, that when we talk about our faith and we, and we talk about we're people of faith, the question is, can our faith be tested? The reason we're talking about him two times is because his faith was tested and it was proven. Hello. That's why we're talking about him, and that's why Abraham is known as the father of faith, because his faith was tested. And so the second thing here, it is important that we realize that God does not test our faith to receive information, but to give us revelation of what he already knows about us. Hello. You see, whenever, whenever we take a test in school, it is not because the teacher knows what we know. It is to prove to the teacher what we know, Right? The teacher has been there and has been instructing or whatever the case is, giving you homework, giving you assignments, and then you come to a point in the, in, in the semester and every student in here loves those times of testing, amen? Right, you look forward to tests, right? You love tests like that. You're like, tomorrow, can I get a test tomorrow? Like you're thinking about, well, no, tomorrow's no school. So you're like, yeah, give me a test tomorrow because I won't be there. But you're, you know, you're hoping that on Tuesday you get a pop quiz on everything you've been learning, right? No, you don't. Right? No, no, no. There's some people that enjoy tests. There's some people that hate tests. But nonetheless, the reality is that that teacher is testing you to find out what you know. When God tests our faith, he's not finding out what we know. or He's not trying to figure out, well, hey, have they really been listening? Have they really been reading their Bible? Have they really been um, applying the text that they've been hearing on Sundays? That's not the way that God tests us. When God tests us, he is testing us not for his information but for our revelation. So that we can know what it is that he knows. Why? Because he is about maturing us in the faith. The reality is that if we are not tested in our faith, we will never mature. Hello. We don't. We don't grow because we just continue to go around the same circles. We continue to battle the same things. We continue to struggle in the same sin because we never experience what we need to in order for us to grow beyond that. And testing of our faith is very important for us to, 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 to grow in our faith. Last paragraph here. The Christian walk is a series of tests that either prove or disprove the genuineness of our faith in God. I'll say that one more time. The Christian walk is a series of tests that either prove or disprove the genuineness of our faith in God. And when I'm talking about this faith in God, I want you to realize that I'm talking about our daily walk with him. 
as we go through different tests of faith, as we go through different circumstances in our life, you know what happens? What happens to us is our faith is being proven or disproven. When you're dealing with those difficult people in your life and you begin to operate in the flesh, you begin to act out of character, you begin to act in a way that dishonors God, is your faith proven there or is your faith disproven? It's disproven. But when you are dealing with those same difficult people and you are still loving or gracious or kind towards them and you act within the character of a Christian, then you know what happens? Your faith is proven. And so Christianity is a series of tests, not because God like wants us to walk around being tested at all times, but the truth is that's just how life is. And as a Christian, your faith is being proven consistently. And so like Abraham, our faith will be proven through obedience amidst difficulty and uncertainty, which is what we see in this particular story that we're going to look at in detail in Genesis chapter 22. In the end, please understand this. God desires our faith to shine brightly before a world that needs to see the power of the gospel to change and sustain lives. Let me, let me say it like this. The reason why God allows our faith to be tested is not because he wants to make us look bad. It's because he wants to shine brightly through us. Are you here? It is not because he wants to make us experience condemnation when we fail. It is not because of that. It is because he is a God who is what? He is a sent and sending God. Jesus is sent into this world to die for lost humanity. And then what? He sends out his disciples and we are being sent the same way to do what? To go out there into this world to show them the brilliance of the gospel. To show them the power of the gospel. And listen, we can talk all day long about the gospel and about what it does in someone's life. But if our lives do not reflect the transforming power of the gospel, we make God a liar. Are you here? If our lives do not show, if our marriages do not show the power of the gospel, if the way that we interact with our children do not reflect the power of the gospel, if the way that we deal in our employment situation does not reflect the power of the gospel, then what we are doing is we're dishonoring God. We're not shining brightly for the glory of God. And so when we talk about being tested and we look at the faith of Abraham, this is a guy whose faith we want to imitate. So here is the big idea. Proven faith. Faith is a faith worth imitating. Proven faith is a faith that is worth imitating. Think about that. Proven faith is a faith worth imitating. The reason why we're talking about imitating the faith of Abraham is because his faith was proven. And the same thing holds true in our lives. When we live our lives in a way that shows our faith, you know what? Our faith is worth proving. But when we live a life that we are a lot of talk, but we don't live the faith that we're talking about, guess what? Our faith is not a faith that, that, that is to be imitated. Nobody wants to be like us. Nobody's trying, to, nobody's trying to come into the faith. No one's trying to come to know Jesus. And so it's important that we're walking in a proven faith and understanding, listen, we can be tested and should be willing to be tested in our faith. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, proven faith, faith. is demonstrated in our immediate obedience. Proven faith is demonstrated in our immediate obedience obedience in our immediate obedience turn with me quickly to the book of Genesis chapter 22 remember hold your place in the book of Hebrews because you want to look there as well but Genesis chapter 22 we're going to read verses 1 through 4 look what it says here it says now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him Abraham 
And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I, will sh I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac and, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Now turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read this again so we can look Look here in verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, had, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. And so I don't know about anyone else, but I mean, when we, when we read stories like this, these are things that make you go, hmm. Like, why would God say that to me? Like, why would God tell this? I mean, Abraham is already over 100 years old, right? I mean, he's already, you know, his son is, you know, older, old enough to walk next to him, right? He was like 99, and I mean, he was, he was old when, 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 when Isaac was going to be born or conceived. And so this is an old guy. He's been trusting God all of these years. And then all of a sudden, God shows up to him and says, listen, I want you to go sacrifice your son. I want you to go kill your son. The son that you've been hoping for, hello, the son that you've been waiting for, I mean, I, listen, I know me, I, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, my kids. I mean, God's like, go kill your kids. Like, I, God, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that I would wake up the next morning and do that. Now, you read the text with me, right? You know that the text said what? He woke up the next morning. It wasn't delayed obedience. It wasn't like he said, well, you know, I need a week or something like that. I need to seek some confirmation. That, Lord, were you really speaking to me here? Maybe, maybe I ate something bad the night before. It was none of that. Abraham immediately obeys what God said. Faith, look, look again. The, 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 the point here is proven faith is demonstrated in our immediate obedience. In our culture, it is the norm and seems to be the end thing to question everything, especially authority that we do not agree with. Hello. Are you here? This is the truth. And I'm not talking about all of this other crazy stuff that happened around this election time. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm just talking, let, let's move, let, let, let's, let's, let's ignore that. Let's, let's act like that didn't happen. Amen. Let's just act like that didn't happen. Let's look at just what we know of our culture. Question everything. We don't obey authority. That, that, that's something that is not a norm for us. Like, like now we want to question stuff. Like when I was growing up, like I see kids nowadays. Hello, somebody. Like I see kids nowadays, I would have been knocked out somewhere for stuff that I see kids doing nowadays. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be walking around, you know, with a, with a smile on my face and everything is okay. I would have gotten some serious beatdowns. Hello. Today they would have called that child abuse. Nonetheless, the reality is I'm not telling you to abuse your children, but what I am saying is we live in that culture. I want you to think about this statistic. I was at a conference a, a couple of years ago, and a guy was doing some research, the pastor there, Pastor Mark Driscoll, he was doing some research for a new book that he was going to be writing, and, and, he, and, he, and he wrote seven things that he was going to be dealing with in his book. But look what he says in this partic particular statistic. Of those ages 18 to 34, I think that's like the millennials, right? That's who that is. I'm assuming something like that. Those ages 18... To 34, a little younger than me. Hello. A little younger than most of you in this room, but nonetheless, there's a few of you that are a little younger than that. But of those ages, 18 to 34, listen to this, 85% say there is more than enough proof for Christianity 
meaning that there's enough proof that the Bible is accurate, that the Bible is real, but they do not want anyone to tell them what to do morally. That is the reason they won't commit to Christ. You hear that? Not 5%, not 10%, not even 40%, not even 50%, not 60%, not 70%, not 75 85% of those between the ages of 18 and 34 know they're going to hell and they're okay with it because they don't want anyone to tell them how to live. That's an issue with us. See, it's in our DNA to question authority. It's in our DNA to be rebellion. Our greatest issue or one of the greatest issues we face is a willingness to unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and without question obey God. Did you hear those three things? Unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and without question. Come on now. Y'all know that this is an issue. Like, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to question him all the way. I'm going to obey God. It's not going to be wholehearted. You know, I, I remember hearing one time somebody saying, you know, the Bible says you have to love people. It doesn't say you have to like them. <laughs> I don't think the two are possible, but here's the thing, right? Like, I, I don't think the two apart from each other are, are possible, right? I mean, when you talk about loving your enemies, like you might not like them, you got to love them. But, but here's the thing that, that, that we have to understand is that we're, we, we have this issue and it is this obedience to God. God calls us to obey him. So what are we supposed to do? See, and, and it doesn't matter if it's the crystal clear scripture, like what we know the Bible says clearly, or if it's stuff that we feel like the Lord is communicating to us. And so it's very important for us that we are obedient to what God communicates and that we strive to be like Abraham and that he didn't hesitate, question, or seek confirmation to obey God. He just obeyed God, trusting God with the results. Are you here? This is what he did. He trusted God with the results. Can I tell you something? Our view of God is the limiting factor to our obedience. I'll say that again. Our view of God is the limiting factor to our obedience. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a second, but what I want you to realize is the reason why Abraham was able to obey God so quickly, so clearly, without question, is because of his view of God. And you know where you get a view of God? You get a view of God out of your relationship with God. You don't just get a view of God through what you hear preached from a pulpit. You don't just get a view of God through what you hear on the radio. You don't just get a view of God of what you see on television. You don't just get a view of God on those things. You get a view of God based on your relationship with him. God revealing himself to you. God showing himself, showing you who he is. And that will determine how much you're going to obey him. So if you and I struggle with obedience with God, you want to know what the issue is? The issue is this. It is not just our sinful nature that we battle. It is a low view of God. The reason I'm going to question him about things and I'm going to say, God, I don't know if I can do that, is because I don't believe that you're going to be able to hold up your end of the bargain. I don't believe that you're going to be able to sustain me through this trial. I don't believe that you're going to be able to get me through to whatever it is you want. That's the reason why we question him. That is the reason why we disobey him. That is the reason why we dishonor him. And here's the reality. The reality is that our view of God is, 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 uh, happens through many different things. While you gain the right view of God through a relationship with God. See, because here's the thing. I can attest to you. I didn't have a present father in my life growing up. I didn't have all of these great examples in my life as I was growing 
growing up. There was one person in my family who was a Christian consistently throughout the time that I remember growing up, and that was my grandmother. My mother got saved later on, and she's the one who ultimately led me to Jesus. But what I'm saying is I didn't have a good view of a present dad. If anything, I had a view of a dad who was absent, a dad who didn't care. And what I want you to know is that many people believe this, and this is true. Our experiences with our dads sometimes are what cause us to have our view of God. But can I tell you something? You know what? I never, ever, hear me when I say this, I never, ever had an issue with God in my life and having having a bad view of who he was because of my relationship with him. Are you here? Because I knew him, because I encountered him, and because I was seeking him, all of the bad experiences that I had outside of him, none of those affected that. You know why? Because he was sanctifying my view of him. Are you here? He was helping me to view him the way that he needed to be viewed. And so for us, it's the same thing. Our view of him was what hinders our obedience. Second thing, say this with me, proven faith is affirmed by our declarations. And so you're there in in Hebrews 11. Look at verses 18 and 19. And look what it says. It says, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Look at verse 19, the first part of it. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Now look at that. That he concluded. This is what Hebrews says about Abraham. That Abraham concluded, now look back to the book of Genesis chapter 25, look at verses 5 through 8. So Abraham gets up early, he goes out with his guys, three days later, he comes to the place of sacrifice, verse 5 says, and Abraham said to his young men, listen to this, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, look at this, and we, not me, and we will come back to you. That's a declaration of faith, is it not? He was going away to kill his son. And yet he tells these people, my son and I are coming back to you. That is a declaration of faith. That is a proven faith that he was declaring and saying, you know what? This is the son of promise. And guess what? It's gonna, he's, he's got to come back with me somehow. I don't know how. And verse 6 says, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father. Look at this. This is like, I, I picture this conversation as probably the craziest conversation conversation ever. Isaac is over here walking with his dad. You know, Isaac knows about sacrifices apparently, and he's like, Dad, I see the wood. I see the fire. I see everything except the sacrifice. And look at his dad. His dad, he says, he says, my father. He said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said to him, my son, look at this, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So two of them went together. Is that another, not another declaration? He didn't know anything. He's comforting his son. And he's telling his son, listen, God's going to provide for us. And, and, and Abraham is clueless as to what God is going to do outside of this. But he is making some declarations. Abraham, look, listen, he made some amazing declarations. So either he believed what he was saying or he is a great liar. Can I tell you something? I want to give you a clue here. God is not going to call someone his friend and a man of faith who's a great liar. Are you here? So it wasn't that he was a great liar. He believed it. Look at what Proverbs 18.21 says. It says, death and life. Y'all should know this one by, by memory. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat its fruit. Listen, we have to make sure that we are considering. I'm not one of those name it, claim it. that's That's a bunch of baloney. But hear me. When I say this, the book of Proverbs teaches us there is power. Say power. 
There is power in our words. It, you know, we don't, we don't create a future and all this kind of stuff. I don't believe any of that because our future is predestined in God. And so I'm not creating anything. But what I do know is that this, this, this guy, Abraham, is an example. He is walking by faith because he is making declarations of faith. And I want to say it like this. The discipline of devotion is the key to definitive declarations of faith. The discipline of devotion, the time that you spend with God, the time that you separate with the Lord, the reason why you are going to communicate things is because of what you have been filling your heart with. And it is important that we are living out and that we are growing in our devotion with God, our separated time with God. And this whole Bible reading challenge, you know what the big thing for me is? It is that people, I try to encourage everyone in the videos, man, I hope that you're reading the Word of God. I hope you're spending time with God. Listen, it is not about about reading or listening to three chapters alone. That's not what it's about. It's not about coming to the end of 2017 saying, yes, I made it. I finished the Bible reading challenge. That's a great accomplishment. But listen, if you read the whole Bible in 2017 and your heart's not changed, hey man, was that good? Or was that a waste of time? If nothing changes in you by you being in the Word of God, then it was a waste of time. And listen, I'm not one to say that it's a waste of time being in the Word of God, but I have to question, were you really in the Word of God if you're not being changed by the Word of God? You see, he was able to make these declarations. He was able to communicate these things because of what? Because of what was going on inside of him. You know, my dad, he, he, you know, he, he, gave, he gave me a, 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 an analogy one day, and I, and I think it was Martin Luther. He says, a, you know, a tree does not know what bird will land in its branches, but it does not have to let it nest. A tree does not know what bird will land in its branches, but it does not have to let it nest. And the whole point was that our thoughts are what determine our attitudes, and our attitudes are what determine our actions. And can I say something? Speaking is an action. Are you here? And so if my thoughts, the bird that he's talking about, Martin Luther's talking about, a bird doesn't know what, you know, or a tree doesn't know what bird is coming. You don't know what thought is coming your way. You don't know what doubt is coming your way. You don't know what deception is coming your way. Nonetheless, it's coming. Here's the question. Are you going to shake that off or are you going to let that thing take root in you? Are you going to let that thought become the attitude that you live in and then also become the declarations of your life? Listen, it's not just about changing what you say. It's about changing what you think. It's about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so Abraham, listen to this now, he believed, he believed in the resurrection before it was ever explicitly taught because he had a, he had a relationship with the resurrector. Are you here? Before he even, listen, before anyone ever talked about resurrection, before anyone was brought back from the dead, Abraham was declaring, me and the lad, we're coming back. He declared to his son, God is going to provide for him. He had this belief because of what? Not because he had some foreknowledge, not because he had some theology built in, but it was because he knew someone. He knew the God of heaven, therefore he was able to do what? To make the declarations that needed to be made. This enabled him to unwaveringly obey God's instruction and declare his faith that God was able to accomplish the impossible to bring about his promises. You know what it was? Abraham knew God. And he knew that God was able to bring about the promises that he was going to bring about. Third thing, say this with me. Proven faith is rewarded faith. Look at, look at, look at chapter 19 again. I mean, uh, uh, chapter... 11 verse 19 look at the second part of it and it says this it says from which he also received him in a figurative sense and so it said let's look at the top of verse 19 concluding that God was able to raise him up 
even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now turn back to Genesis chapter 22. Look at verses 9 through 18, and we, we're going to read through this. We'll go through this quickly. It says, Then they came <clears throat> to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. That had to be crazy. Just think about tying up your son, and, and your son is like, Dad, I thought God's providing. I mean, what's going on here? You're wrapping me up, and you're laying me on this altar. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know, and I want to just pause there for a moment because people get all twisted on this. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now here's the question. Do you think God knew that he feared God before this? He had to because if he, if he doesn't, he's not all-knowing. That would be a denial of scripture. This word here, to know, it can also be mean to see or it can mean to acknowledge. And so the way that I would understand this is that I acknowledge that you fear the Lord. Because what? Because you've gone through this test. Because you've done what you're supposed to do. You know what I understand about God? God allows us to go through these tests so he can do what? So he can reward us. Are you here? Hmm. He allows us to go through these tests so the way he can reward our faith. You see, it's not because he doesn't get glory because guess what? He gets glory because he's the one who empowers our faith. It's not that he wants you to take the glory for it. He wants to be able to say, you know, you walk through this and I've given you this because that's the way he's operating here with his son. Why? Because proven faith is rewarded faith. Let's keep reading here. It says, Verse 13, it says, And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram that was caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing. Notice, notice again what I just said. He tests us so he can reward us. It's not because he's trying to give glory to anyone else. It's not because of that. But he's giving it because he wants to reward our faith. He said, by myself I have sworn, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is of the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. You should circle that word seed there. It's not seeds with an S. It is the word seed, singular. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Listen, the reason why this scripture is so important for us when we look at all the scriptures important, but in our, in, in our context this morning is because we see that Abraham was tested by God. And what does he do? He obeys God without question. He does what God says. And you know what the result is? The result is a prophetic declaration pointing forward to the seed that was to come. And that seed is Jesus. You see, the greatest reward that, this, that, that Abraham has is not just that he is blessed, it's not just that he receives something, but it is that he gets to actually experience something in a figurative way that we get to experience literally. What am I talking about? It's said there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, that he received his son in a figurative way. In other words, his son didn't really die. 
But it was like his son rose because you know what? In his mind and in his heart, while he was making declarations of faith, what he knew was that I'm going to have to go up on this mountain. I'm going to have to kill my son. That's the reason why we know that this guy believed in resurrection because he knew that he, he was going to have to go up there. In his mind, he was going to have to kill his son. But he also knew that if God said to do that, that this was the child of promise. The beauty of this is that it doesn't end there. Remember, all of these stories are supposed to point us to Jesus, right? And this story shows us that he was, when he was looking at, when he was taking his only son up there, he's, his son was not the sufficient sacrifice, but the son, the seed that was promised is that sacrifice. And we, because of this man's faith, because this man decided to obey, he gets the promise about this seed that comes for us to experience liberty and freedom. That is a beautiful thing. Everything that we have, listen now, while our faith is for sure rewarded, everything that we have is based upon the seed. It's based upon Jesus, that seed for our sin. So for us, looking at the faith of Abraham and how God saw him through it, it should encourage us to continue to walk by faith as our faith is tested and proven genuine. Listen, God may not deliver us from great sacrifices in the time of testing of the testing of our faith, but he promises to walk with us every step of the test. See, so here's the thing that I don't want to tell you. What I don't want to tell you is I don't want to tell you that God is going to ask you for something and then tell you, no, nah, don't worry about it. I don't want to tell you that. Because that's not what this story tells you. And if you read the rest of the book, you see that God asks for sacrifices often. This was a scenario where God was testing someone's faith. And here's the thing. God is never going to make someone sacrifice their child like other gods would. Are you here? See, other gods would ask for sacrifice of children. God doesn't ask for those kind of things. And so that's how we know what God is asking us for. Oh, for sure, he's going to ask us for things that cost. Oh, for sure, he's going to ask us for things that hurt. That's for sure. He's going to ask us to lay things on the altar that, that are going to be painful, that we don't want to lay down, that we want to hold on to. But nonetheless, God is gracious and he's merciful. You know what he says? He says, listen, I'm going to walk with you through that test. I'm going to give you the grace and the strength to get through that test. I'm going to bring you through the other side of that test, and I'm going to reward your faithfulness to me. Is that not an awesome promise from the Lord? And so here's my closing question for you as I close here. This is it. Where is your faith being proven right now? Where is your faith being proven right now? And see, I, I think that there's three kinds of people that are usually in a building like this. And it is the people who are in the midst of a test of faith. People who are going through some kind of test right now, you're experiencing something. There's something in your life that's testing you. It can be marriage. It can be kids. It can be finance. It can be work. It can be neighbors. It can be neighborhoods. It can be a situation you're dealing with. It can be extended family. I don't know. There's, there's, there's tests. It can be physical tests. It can be tests that we're going through. Some of us are going through tests right now. Then there's other people that just came out of a test, and you're praising God. You're like, amen, he walked me through that test. They're those people that just came out of some kind of fire, came out of some kind of test. But can I tell you the one that I really am concerned about is the one that's not in a test that might have been sleeping through this message and doesn't realize you're about to walk into a test. Because here's the reality. I know this for sure as being a Christian, you know, for over 20 years. What I realize is that I know this. I know that there are times that I'm always walking out of, walking in, or walking into some kind of test. And the beauty of it is, is that God always encourages me. Listen, I'm going to walk with you through that test. And so if you're here and you're going through some type of test in your faith, I want you to be encouraged. Stay faithful. 
Declare the words of God over your life. Declare God's heart over your life. Don't allow your situation and your circumstance to change what you communicate. Don't start complaining. Continue to give him glory. Don't speak doubt. Continue to give him glory. Believe what he says. For those of you that are coming out of a trial, praise the Lord God, you came out of it. I don't know, you smell like smoke? I don't know. It's fiery, painful. And for those of you that are about to go in there, hey, just know that this word's going to be there for you. Amen? Stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Father, we are so, so grateful today, Lord God, for your love toward us. We thank you for your word that is truth. We thank you for your word that is good. We thank you for your word that is powerful to deliver, to save, to transform us. Spirit of God, I pray that you fill those in this place, Lord. You know those who are going through trials of faith right now. You know those that are going through battles in their faith right now, those that are struggling in their faith right now. Spirit of the Lord, draw their hearts to you. Fill them with a heart that is filled with hope, with with grace, with peace. Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen them in their walk right now. I pray that you would glorify yourself in their lives, my God. I pray that you would see them through this, Lord. And I pray that they would experience the wonder and the majesty of who you are today. And I pray, Lord God, that all of our lives, as we live for your glory, would shine brightly for the honor, for the glory of your name. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.